My name is Eric, and we'll now be reading today's passage from 2 Samuel 6, 1 through 23. Please follow along in your own Bible or on the screen. David again gathered all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Bailey, Judah, to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name of the Lord of the hosts, who sits enthroned on the cherubim. And they carried the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, were driving the new cart, the ark of God. And Ahio went before the ark. And David and all the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. And when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God struck him down there because of his error, and he died there beside the ark of God. And David was angry because the Lord had broken, had broken out against Uzzah, and that place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day, and he said, How can the ark of the Lord come to me? So David was not willing to take the ark of the Lord into the city of David. But David took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. And the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and his household. And it was told King David, The Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. And when those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six steps. He sacrificed an ox and a fattened animal. And David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horn. As the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michal, the daughter of Saul, looked out of the window and saw King David sleeping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. And they brought in the ark of the Lord and set, set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And when David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts and distributed among all the people the whole multitudes of Israel both men and women, a cake of bread, a portion of meat, and a cake of raisins to each one. Then all the people departed, each to his house. And David returned to bless his household. But Michal, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How the king of Israel honored himself today, uncovering himself today before the eyes of his servants, female servants, as one of the vulgar fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. And David said to Michal, It was before the Lord who chose me above your father and above all his house to appoint me as prince over Israel. The people of the Lord and I will celebrate before the Lord. I will make myself yet more contemptible than this. 
and I will be abashed in your eyes. But, but by the female servants of whom you have spoken, by them I shall be held in honor. And Michal, the daughter of Saul, had no child to the day of her death. This is the reading of God's word. Again, good morning to those uh, that are new and that are visiting and to those uh, that are members here, welcome and thank you for joining us for worship. For those that don't know, uh, my name is Jay, I'm one of the pastoral staff here and I have the privilege to be able to share with us uh, the word of God from 2 Samuel as we continue on in our sermon series uh, through the topic of worship and what it means for us uh, to really be able to recapture this idea of worshiping God with all of our hearts. And um, if you guys have heard uh, either myself or Pastor Eugene uh, give a sermon, you, I'm sure you have heard us uh, quote a pastor by the name of Tim Keller. Uh, he is, you know, we probably quote him quite frequently. Like, it goes Bible, G, you know, Jesus, and then Tim Keller, right? That's how much we, we quote him. But um, for those of that don't know, he passed away last week from pancreatic cancer. And, and he was a, a pastor to many. He was a theological uh, a giant, a, a, a preaching uh, wizard, and, and he is now in the uh, presence of his Savior. And, and one, of the way, uh, one of the things that, uh, stories that kind of you know, I remember about Tim Keller is that we, our church has actually partnered with a ministry that he started called City to City. So uh, we had an opportunity on, on a couple of occasions to go to New York and sit under his teaching. And it was a much smaller group, right? And it was something where you can kind of see him in person and, and, and he would teach. And, and his uh, schedule was very busy. So after he would teach, uh, during the time when they would close in prayer, he would kind of sneak away and, and go to his next meeting because he knew if he stuck around that people would kind of bombard him and ask for his picture and, you know, like ask him all these questions and stuff like that. So he would just kind of sneak away. <clears throat> when the last day, uh, we knew that we had to leave as quickly as possible. We had to go get lunch and then, you know, catch a flight back from New York. So uh, as the session was ending, I told Eugene, I was like, hey, like uh, when we start praying, like let's, I'm going to go, you know? And, and he's like, all right, cool. And then, um, and then he was praying, and I, and, I was, and I was like, why are they still praying? Like, we're supposed to leave, right? But, like, you know, him and Charleston and the other staff were holier than I was. And uh, so I just, I was like, I'm leaving. So I go, and I, and I push the elevator to get on the elevator. And, you know, when, the, when you push the elevator door, it takes a few moments to open unless it has just closed. If it has just closed, then it just opens right away, right? So I push the door and uh, the button, and the door just opened right away. And then, to my shock, Tim Keller was in the elevator. And then I walked in, right? And, uh, and, and he's much bigger than you would expect. He's like 6'5". He, so he's a, he's a giant man. Uh, <clears throat> so I'm just kind of like, oh, you know, like, uh, like what the heck? And he, and he probably thought I was like following him, right? Like, like this crazy like fanatic, right? And I was just like, okay. And, I just, and he was there with his colleague. And then, uh, and then he saw my name tag. So he kind of made a joke. And then he's like, hey, Jay. And I was like, ah, you know, and I just, I just like, you know, just like, well, you know, and I was like a little awkward. But, but it was like, I was, I was like in such reverence and awe of the fact that I was in the same elevator with Tim Keller. You know, I was like breathing the same oxygen as him. And then, uh, you know, he got off and then like, and then what, what happened after, the, after he like, you know, went away from like eye distance, I was like, oh my goodness. Like, and I was like so filled with joy. And then a, as soon as Eugene and Charleston, the other staff, I was like, I was just in the elevator with Tim Keller, you know, and I started telling everyone that would care, you know, I was in the elevator with Tim Keller and I was, you know, describing this interaction. And I was thinking about it and I was like, you know, there's an opportunity or there's many op uh, times when we as human beings, 
we encounter someone that we respect or that we sometimes are a fan of or that we revere. And when we encounter them and when we're in their presence, there is a undeniable joy and an undeniable respect and an undeniable uh, honor that, that, ex that kind of just bubbles up from within us. And, you know, contrary to that, I think in many ways when we come to church, it's almost something that we do flippantly, right? It's almost something that we're not as thoughtful of. The fact that we get to come into the very presence of God, our Savior, and yet not think so highly of it or, or not be so mindful of it was really astonishing to me when I thought about, like, all the encounters that I've had with, like, B-list celebrities and, and, and different pastors and my reaction to it. And yet, when I come into the presence of God and worship on a weekly basis, it is not even something that really moves me anymore. And perhaps that's a feeling that you have as well. Perhaps that is an experience that you are going through. So today, as we continue on our sermon series, I, I want to talk about the fact that as we come into God's presence, um, what is our attitude of reverence? Is it present? What does it mean for us to worship God in respect and honor and reverence? And what does it mean for us to express joy in our worship? So as we read this passage, first we're going to talk about the reverence in God's presence. And as we read this passage, it's probably a story that you are not too familiar with. Um, perhaps some of you have read it before or are familiar with it, but I'll give you a quick play-by-play -play re right here. Um, the Ark of the Covenant is a wooden box that carried the, the Ten Commandments. Right? Uh, the two, tones, two stone tablets were inside this box, and the idea and the imagery was that the presence of God resided above the Ark of the Covenant. So it was considered his footstool. So wherever the Ark of the Covenant was, was considered the presence of God was also there. And with the presence of God was a very powerful thing in that it, you know, many battles were won because the Israelites brought the Ark of the Covenant into the battlefield. Uh, so it's, it's the very presence of God in their midst. And for King David, um, he has just retrieved the Ark of the Covenant from the Philistines. The Philistines, they took it, he got it back, and now he was able to conquer the city of Jerusalem, and he made that the capital of the, Israel, uh, the people of Israel, and now he is super excited to bring this Ark uh, to the city of David, or, the, or Jerusalem, into the capital city so that the, God, the presence of God can be in the midst of Israel. And so David gathered 30,000 men, chosen men of Israel. They went out to the place where the ark was placed and in order to retrieve it and bring it back to Jerusalem. And when you look at the, the description of what's going on, the people of Israel, they're excited. They're stoked. They're singing, they're dancing, they're playing tambourines and cymbals and lyres and harps. And in, in many ways, it, it, it seems like a description of some of our parties that we go to, right? Or karaoke bars, not really our worship. I know some of, I've seen some of you guys' Instagram stories. There's tambourines in those karaoke bars. And, and while this is going on, and, and you're thinking, of, is this a very joyous and victorious occasion for the people of Israel? It says that Uzzah, who's one of the ones transporting the ark, he reached out his hand because the oxen stumbled. The, the ark that was being carried on an ox in a carriage, it stumbled and it was about to fall off the cart. It was about to fall off the carriage. And what do you do when something important is about to fall? You reach out and grab it. You reach out to stop it. So he reaches out to, to make sure that the ark of the covenant doesn't fall and doesn't get crushed and doesn't get damaged. And the moment he reaches out and touches it, he dies. And it says that David was angry because Uzzah was killed. 
And then it was filled with that anger was followed up by fear. The fear of, will, will God's presence ever come into the city of David? Now, when we read this portion, you might be wondering, like, what is God thinking? Uh, why, why is God being described in a way where he would kill somebody who had good intentions? Right? Because the idea is, like, what did Uzzah did wrong? Uh, what did he do wrong? All he was trying to do was make sure that the ark was not crushed, that the ark did not get damaged. And, and a little side note, I, I think when you think about a story like this, um, you can almost kind of make the conclusion, or I'll make the conclusion for you, that like, if the Bible was just an invention of humanity, why would anyone describe God in this way, right? It seems so uh, unfair for him to react and respond in this way, right? Uh, it, it has to be a revelation from God as he's describing who he is. And the next question is, well, why would God go through the lengths of killing Uzzah when it seems like he had good intentions? And the reason why is this, that there was very clear procedures on how the Ark of the Covenant was to be transported. In Exodus chapter 25, verse 12 through 15, it says this, you shall cast four rings of gold for it to put them on its four feet, two rings on one side of it and two rings on the other side of it. You shall make poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold, and you shall pull, uh, put the poles into the rings on the side of the ark to carry the ark by them. The pole shall remain the rings of the ark. They shall not be taken from it. So the clear instruction is that there will be rings and there will be poles and that the ark must be carried. Now, in 1 Chronicles chapter 15, verse 15, it says this, and the Levites carried the ark of God on their shoulders with the poles as Moses had commanded according to the word of the Lord. So the only way that the ark of the covenant could be transported was that it must be carried by Levites, it must be carried by, uh, and it must be done by foot. But Uzzah, who was commissioned to take the ark of the covenant from where it was to the city of David, what they decided was that they would make sure that the ark of the covenant would be transported according to their ways which was to be put on a cart driven by oxen. So you might not think that's a big deal, right? You might not think that that's, who cares? Just, you know, like, just do it whichever way is most efficient and most comfortable. And that's exactly the point. For Uzzah and Ehiho, their desire was that they would transport the ark in the way that is most efficient for them, in the way that is most comfortable for them. But God, his desire, especially in worship, is not for our comfort and our efficiency. He desires for us to enjoy him. And sometimes the, the, the desire, uh, you know, his desire for us to enjoy him is going to be very uncomfortable. Sometimes it's going to be inefficient. Um, you know, one of my biggest, um, when I first started the church, I was like, our church service is going to be one hour. Church services should not be longer than one hour, and I made sure of it. You know, and any time I would go visit other churches, and the churches were like, the services were longer than that, I'd be like, after like an hour and fifteen minutes, I'm done. I'm like, oh, you know, I'm like, what is going on? Because like inefficiency, and like, why, why has it got to be so long, right? I don't know if you guys have noticed, but our worships have been going a little longer. Okay. Because I realized it's not about our comfort. It's not about our efficiency. What God desires is, do we? enjoy him will we love him in the way that he desires for us to love him and when we think about what ha what was going on with Uzzah was this it's not that he reached out to save the ark 
is that in his irreverence to the way that God desires to be worshipped, he thought he can overstep the rules and he can do whichever way he wants. That he didn't have to follow the commands of God to, to make sure that, you know, you, the, the ark is carried and that there's, there, you know, you can't touch it by your hand, but he thought that he was above it. Now, for us in, our new, in a New Testament dispensation, this New Testament era, we're lucky that there aren't, you know, these regulatory rules where if we break that, that God would destroy us, right? Because every week, it would just be less and less, less people because you guys all would be dead. Me too. I would probably be the first one dead, you know? But the, the reality is, is that God still desires for us to come in, in reverence and in honor and respect, so there might not be regulatory rules like the Old Testament, but the reality is we still have common courtesy rules that we follow as human beings, that we apply on a daily basis in our work, in our social settings, in our families, and yet we ignore the very moment we come into worship. I mean, I've said this before, right? But how many of us would be late to a doctor's appointment? Not many of us. How many of you would be late to your Zoom meeting with your manager? Probably not many of you. Right? How many of you guys would be late to an important, uh, you know, important function? If it's a wedding, maybe you'll be late. You know? but golfers, tea times, I know you guys are never late for a tea time. And yet here we, on a weekly basis, we come strolling in 5, 10, 15 minutes later, you know, and oftentimes, it's you're holding a Starbucks. So, you know, I mean, we, you, get, you get what I'm saying, right? You know, how many of us, if we were in a, uh, in, in a dinner with a close friend or, or a mentor or, or, or someone that we respect, how many of us would be just pulling out our phones every five minutes? No, because that's rude. And, and again, this is me talking about myself, but on Sundays, checking scores, you know, you get hungry, you're like, oh, what should we eat? What's open? Yelp. You know, you get a notification, oh, what's that? You know what I mean? Like, we, we do that all the time, right? Now, imagine if you had a dinner appointment and you see that your friend is already in the restaurant and you're walking in and then you see another friend and you, will you stop and just talk to them for 15 minutes? That happens every Sunday. You're walking in, worship, song's already playing. Oh, hey, how's it going? And you just start talking. To them. You know what I mean? There's like common courtesy rules that we abide by when it comes to humans and other social settings, and yet we completely ignore when we're coming to the presence of God. So it's not that we're so irreverent that we are like cursing God and, and acting a fool, but it's the little subtle things. The same way that Uzzah, it's not that he was cursing God and, and deserved his, de uh, his wrath. It was the little things, the little details. But when we have the correct and proper reverence for God, it is expressed in our uninhibited worship filled with joy. So just like last week, the church in Ephesus was given a chance to repent of the fact that they had forgotten their first love. And again, we see this even in this passage that God now gives King David a chance to repent of the fact that they were doing, operating in an irreverent way in how they handled the Ark of the Covenant. So King David has just witnessed the justice of God as he is filled with, and, and, he's, and David is now filled with anger and fear. He's like, I'm angry that Uzzah died and I'm fearful that the Ark of the Covenant will never come into my presence. Then he sees a glimpse of God's grace 
as it is described that the ark was in the home of Obed-Edom for three months and God blessed them during those three months. Now, imagine, let's say the ark of the covenant was here and I was like, hey, uh, you know, David, bring the ark of the covenant to, you know, sun, this special Sunday. He's like, okay. And then he touched it and he died. You know, I'm like, oh no, David's dead. And I'll be like, hey, uh, who volunteers to keep the ark of the covenant in their home? I'm like, no, no, not in my house, right? Like, I don't want to die. And yet Obed-Edom, the Ark of the Covenant is in his presence for three months. Now, we don't know exactly how he treated it or what he did, but we can, we can deduce that it was opposite of what Uzzah did. If Uzzah displayed irreverence to the presence of, uh, of the Ark of the Covenant, then Obed-Edom must have um, you know, been fully reverent, right? filled with reverence and honor at the very fact that the presence of the Lord was in his home to the point that everything that he did was blessed. And so this ignites within David this idea that, oh, God is filled with grace. It is now time to bring the Ark of the Covenant to the city of David. And now this time, in 1 Chronicles 15, it's the same story. 1 Chronicles 15, 2 Samuel 6, same story. And I'm, just gonna, I'm not going to read it, but I'm going to give you guys the play-by-play condensed version. Basically, now David has four Levites put the poles within the Ark of the Covenant and carry the Ark of the Covenant all the way from Obed-Edom's house to the city of David. After six steps, he made them stop and offered up two sacrifices to the Lord. Again, rejoicing, singing, worship, praising, dancing occurred. But this time, the worship was filled with reverence to the point where the expression of that worship was so joyful within David that he was dancing to the point where he was uncovering himself in front of people. Okay. Now, I don't know exactly how much he uncovered, but his wife seemed pretty pissed, right? It, it, so, I mean, the words are very clear. It's like, he, you uncovered yourself as if you're a vulgar person uncovers themselves on the streets. Now, here's the thing. We have the ability to express joy in a way that is uninhibited and in a way that, is, that doesn't give a shame. You know how I know? I see your Instagram stories and I see you at weddings, okay? Perfect examples. And I'm not, I'm not saying that does a bad thing. But when I see, you know, and a wedding should be a joyful occasion. And, you know, if, you know, I was just at a wedding recently, beautiful wedding, and this is not a knock on the wedding nor the people that were having fun, okay? Just, just an example. When I see people dancing on the dance floor, I'm like, that's awesome. You know, I'm not gonna do that, but that's awesome. And then I see them expressing their joy in their dancing with certain songs. You're like, they know how to express joy. And, they, I, and, and, and you know, these songs are despicable if you really listen to the words, right? <laughs> but yet, a certain song comes on, oh, and then they, they know the dance, you know, and everyone's doing it, you know? Oh, and, and here's the thing, guys. Like, we have the ability not to feel shame in those moments because we are filled with absolute joy. But the very moment is a church setting. What happens? We all turn to Michaels, and we all think everyone else is a Michael. Hating on us. And, and I'll be very frank, I'm probably the biggest hater, you know? 
Like, it's easy to judge people like, oh, what are they doing? You know, because like, and in concerts, people are, 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 are expressing themselves all the time, right? But the very moment we step into worship, to worship the, our Savior, we're unwilling to do even the simplest form of joyful expression with our bodies. You know, and I make fun of it all the time, but there's like different forms of, of worship, right? And there's like different levels, like level one is just the swaying, you know? If you can sway on time, that's, that's, that's perfect. If you want to take it a step up, then you go fig leaf, right? You go fig leaf, right? And, and, then, and then it's like, oh, next is like the salt poppy, right? You're like, oh, you know, just, you know? And then it's the waiter, you know? Right? And then it's, you know, cell phone reception, you know? You go, and it just keeps going. And the, the, the final form is the Michael Jackson, you know? Where you go like this, and then people combo it. They go like this, you know. I mean, it's just it, it, you, you, you can do that. People, you, people know how to do that, and yet we are so rigid because we are so worried about what people are going to think to when we worship God. I right, just okay. Think about it. We don't care what people are going to think of us at a wedding when we're a little bit intoxicated, right? We don't care what people are going to think about us when we are, you know, doing silly things on, on social media, but yet we are so worried about what people are going to think about us when we're worshiping the very Savior that offered his life for us. Right? And, and here's the thing. Their worship, their expression of joy rang throughout the nation. It was a form of witness, how can we say that if you want joy in this life, come and worship this God with us, and yet we are unable and unwilling to worship him ourselves? Now, to bring this all together, this story is, it resembles a story in the New Testament. In the New Testament, um, the week before Jesus' crucifixion, it's you know, commonly known as Palm Sunday. It was a time when the presence of God was being transported into Jerusalem on a donkey. And the very people who worshipped him said, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. They worshipped him, they worshiped him and praised him with their words. But the very next week, they were crying out, crucify him, crucify him. The very people that were worshipping him were now wanting him dead. In the same way, Uzzah, who was worshiping and dancing, and, 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 but in his irreverence, he was put to death. The difference here with Jesus is that the irreverence of the people, as they once sang Hosanna and now were singing, crucify him, they did not die. Instead, it was God himself who put himself to death on the cross. And the veil was torn so that we have the entry into God's presence to worship him for what he has done. Now, we're going to continue on in, in this extended time of, of, of practicing our worship, and I'm going to invite the worship team up. Uh, I know last week we, we were talking